But alas, for now, we're stuck with the hosts of Chapo Shithouse Podcast, basically running the Greens messaging. This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Tom doesn't know what flying foxes are. <laughs> Tom hates our native endangered animals. Fucking hell. And they let you know about it. Jesus Christ. Never host a Greens-focused <laughs> podcast and make any error in relation to native wildlife. That's my whole I knew tip. you were wrong. When are you like bats? And you I was have like, spoken up. You should like, have been oh, brave. those stinky, noisy bats. There's heaps of them. <laughs> I, I hate them. That. And I, I was like, do you mean flying foxes? And you were like, I don't know. I just think they should all be bombed. <laughs> so, you know, unsurprisingly, that- we've had some backlash from our listeners. I was having a bad day. This is what we were talking about, Tim Smith. Who famously during the corona during the pandemic went to the media and said, "Hey, we should kill Wait, all these." Stop. Bats. <laughs> Do you want to hear something in your teeth? Do you want to get it out before you continue? Mm. This is from when we were talking about Tim Smith, the Liberal MP, superstar, crusader, who during the pandemic in Victoria said, "Hey, we should kill all these uh, bats that are around his suburb of Kew because people don't like them and they carry diseases." And hey, that COVID thing's doing the rounds. Um. <laughs> I didn't know whether they were bats or flying foxes. Why do we call flying foxes bats? That sucks. I think they are. I don't know if they're not technically bats. They are bats. That's just like the oh, they are colloquial, okay. we call them bats here. They're not foxes? <laughs> then, yeah, confusingly, not foxes. I would love it if they were like tiny little foxes with wings. Are they, They're like a mix between a fox and a bat, right? They're, you look at a bat and it's got a fox's face. Then what happens when a fox fucks a bat? Then you mm. produce flying foxes. Mm. And they're very special and they're bespectacled. You know about those bespectacled ones? Oh, yeah. They're you adorable. I think yeah, they're great. Yeah, and they're very endangered. I, I apologise for defaming publicly <laughs> this, this country's beautiful wildlife. We got this one message from a very concerned listener. I love your work <laughs> and your usually nuanced understanding of the issues. So I was frankly horrified that you would raise the matter of the flying foxes, a.k.a. bats, in queue mm. without getting hold of a few facts first. They are not introduced. They are grey-headed flying foxes who are listed as vulnerable and are, are on the International Union of the Conservation of Nature red list. Loss of habitat, logging, land clearing for farming has meant that quite a few mm-hmm. visit cities looking for food, fruit, flowers, etc. Localised population density does not, in this case, indicate healthy population numbers overall. Yeah, the whole thing about flying foxes, like they do now, they'll kind of congregate in suburban areas and there will be these uh, attempts to disperse them and I think like the the conservation movement and environmentalists generally say like if you try and disperse them by they play like loud noises or oh, whatever yeah, yeah. to try and disturb them and make them go elsewhere and they'll just like either you know then well die or you know set up in more places and it's yeah it's because people get annoyed because they're they are noisy and they are a bit stinky um but it's not their fault and we should be trying to manage the roosts instead of, you know, in situ, instead of uh, just being like, fuck off, not in my backyard. Well, I think that's a straight suiting approach that makes a lot of sense. And I think your woke bullshit needs to be combated at every turn. We had another story <laughs> tweeted to us from Rosemary. Thank you for this. This is amazing. Mayor apologizes after saying protected animals need to be shot. <laughs> a liberal mayor has apologized after he called for bats living south of Sydney to be shot during a council meeting. Sutherland Shire councillors were discussing rezoning a site that had recently been home to dozens of protected grey-headed flying foxes when Mayor Carmelo Pesky Pesci hmm. made the controversial remarks. The bats should be shot, and I'll say that. I said it before. They should be <laughs> shot. They're dirty and they've got diseases. Yikes. <laughs> now, this gets more interesting when we learn that this, this high-profile politician has been tipped to take over from Scott Morrison in the seat of Cook. What? Uh, he could be taking over the former prime minister's seat. I'm shocked that some people, and then, and then he, like, there was also outrage, and then Pesci, Joe Pesci, said, "I'm shocked that some people have taken it seriously." I'm actually very surprised. It was a tongue in cheek. It was a tongue in cheek. It was a tongue in cheek. People in the <laughs> okay. room laughed. It was a joke. Now, really? if people have taken offence to it, I apologise. It was a funny joke. Was it? Was it a joke? Okay, which part was a joke? He believes the response is a sign the world is becoming too politically correct, ding, 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 and mm. that Australians appear to be losing their sense of humour. It's all about the death of the larrikin, <laughs> Emerald. <laughs> Everyone's too scared. With this guy? Yeah, I, I think. Fellow comedian. Comedian, yeah. I think um, we should do mayor some gigs together. Of Sutherland Shire Council. 
Asked about his comments that flying foxes pose a threat to humans, Mr. Pesci doubled down. They're diseased. That's factual. That's factual. They've got diseases, he said. Is he still joking? <laughs> I, I guess he's moving That was so into, funny what he said. I mean, under each joke is like, I no, get it. truth. I get yeah. the joke. Right. Illnesses, and then this is from Yahoo News, who I think are really going hard on this guy. Illnesses caused by flying foxes are extremely rare amongst humans in Australia. Horses, cows, and dogs are responsible for the majority of human deaths. Mr. Pesci said he owns two dogs and between 13 and 14 cows and doesn't hold the same negative feelings about them. Okay, that's a very funny sentence. Good journalism, Amy. I love my dogs and cows. Protect the flying foxes from Tom Ballard. Hey! Stag, oh, he's a dumb really undermines the credibility of anything else said on this podcast. I have a lot to say about John Howard, but he wasn't a dumb over a year and a half and you still haven't hit a thousand stars. But I'm going to defend Peter Costello, Tom Ballard's unofficial Greens podcast. Serious danger. Sorry, everyone. I love flying foxes and I love podcasting, particularly when it's serious danger. Podcast about green politics in Australia. This is not an official Greens Party podcast. Stop asking. And it's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael the Griff Griffin. So much going on this week, Emerald. Yeah, there is a lot going on this week. I I, I think as we're so recording this as usual on Friday morning, yesterday and on Wednesday, there was a fair bit of stuff coming out in Parliament around Liberal Senator David Van and alleged David Van Batham. Yes. David Van Batham. Um, David Van Olsen. Ol- Ol- um, <laughs> but, yeah, allegations from Lydia Thorpe and Amanda Stoker of sexual assault or sexual harassment by him and he's now there's an investigation on, ongoing and uh, Peter Dutton has said he's not sitting in the Liberal Party room while that investigation happens. Unclear what the investigation is doing because both incidents were apparently already investigated before and... You know, whether he, what, like, whether this is just for public fucking theatre, um, as these issues so much are when it comes to Australian politics. I mean, mm. uh, who's to say? But it's, yeah, like, uh, there are obviously some, some clear takes to be had. The response to, um, white liberal Senate candidate Amanda Stoker versus, Lydia Thorpe, when they make allegations, extremely different, of course, in terms of who yes. is believed. Um, and, yeah, Lydia, I think, really trying to talk about a culture of, you know, a lack of safety, particularly for women in Parliament House, um, which we've heard many, many times before. So I imagine there'll be probably more coming out about that in the coming weeks. Yeah, we'll keep tracking that story. And this mixed in with all the Brittany Higgins mm. bullshit this week as well, just overwhelmingly. God, solidarity to survivors, solidarity to people who are coming forward and, and try to tell their story, do the brave thing. And God, yes, the the uh, nonsense on display this week shows how far we've got to go when it comes to tackling all those kind of issues and the fact that, yeah, if you do speak up and speak out, then um, you're going to be dragged through the mug, particularly in the public eye, it seems, which only serves to discourage more and more people from coming forward and going to the police, particularly if your text messages are apparently going to be leaked to the media, for fuck's sake. Whose text messages? Oh, you mean Brittany Higgins. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Brittany Higgins. As part of the investigation, the court case handed over these text messages. They've since gone public. Yeah. And people are going, hmm, that seems not right. Yeah, so you can understand why Lydia, people are like, well, why didn't Lydia go to the police? I mean, various reasons. Um, that being one of them, I would say. This week, though, we're going uh, deep on the war for housing justice. More war housing news. I know we've talked a lot about housing, but it is pretty much the main game, particularly when it comes to the Greens in the federal parliament at the moment. We're going and deep. And also when it comes to people's lives. Oh, yeah, people's <laughs> lives. Yeah, more importantly. <laughs> uh, big thanks to the new patrons who have got on board. Serious Danger AU on Patreon. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Thank you, David, Bruce, and Ryan. No thanks. Which I think is a very hmm. cool name. But Ryan, yes, please, when it comes yes. to serious danger content, <laughs> including wonderful bonus content, uh, like what we the one the episode that we just put out about war crimes and um Ben Robert Smith. Yeah, really great discussion. I thought it was great that we made time to, to do that. I think we didn't really talk about the Ben Robert Smith trial while it was all sort of rolling out, but it was good to sort of look back at that case and the broader fact that lots of Australian sh- soldiers are stand accused of committing war crimes in Afghanistan, which was also a travesty of a war. Um, so we want to talk about what all that means for the Greens' anti-war stance for demilitarization and um, 
and yes, again, the victims of these alleged war crimes in Afghanistan. Check mm-hmm. that out. Thank you to Lucy who got in touch. Said great episode. Such an important conversation about how this is a sim- this is a symptom of the military and not a malfunction. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's all part of the soup uh, when you <laughs> when you invade other countries and try to impose imperially on other nations. What do you know? So war crimes tend to happen. In fact, they're almost inevitable. Um, so glad you enjoyed the episode, Lucy. What does it mean to have someone live in your head rent-free? Max, 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 Max. Max, 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 Max. Max. All right, let's do some more housing chat, please. It's all kicking off. On Tuesday, the Labor government delayed the Senate vote on its signature housing policy, the Housing Australia Future Fund, the HAF. Is anyone calling it the HAF? I've, we call it the half. I don't know if normal people call it the half. I just want okay. to know why is Labor blocking housing? <laughs> why? Because <laughs> they hate the homeless. It seems. Mm, interesting. It's now going to be pushed into next week. They failed to secure the support of the evil Greens political party <laughs> and the spicy negotiations continue. Mm. Super quick refresh. Bear with us again if this is old hat for a lot of people, but it's important, I think, to get all these Facts out on the table. The original half Previously pitch- on half negotiations. <laughs> Previously on the block. The original half pitch involved using the returns from a $10 billion investment fund to build social and affordable housing for people in need. This is, this is the way it was pitched anyway. The spending was capped at $500 million per year, so you couldn't spend more than that in any one year from this fund and mm-hmm. was supposed to build an amazing number of 30,000 homes within five years which is not much when you consider the national public housing shortfall is around 640,000 homes. The half plan also offers how much for renters, Emerald? Uh, zip, zero, zilch, nothing. No. Bubkus. The Greens have said, no, that stinks. The half stinks. It's not enough. Uh, we called for a $5 billion a year indirect investment in building public, social and affordable housing and extra funding for housing to entice the state and territory leaders to impose a two-year national rent freeze followed by an ongoing cap on rent increases. Mm-hmm. That was our initial ambit. As we covered last week on the show, the Greens then offered a compromise on those demands, saying we were prepared to support $2.5 billion a year in direct investment, but, hey, still got to freeze those rents. Still mm-hmm. need something to do because there's a fucking rental crisis going on. Uh, and we've been doing all this because we're NIMBYs and we hate the poor. Is that mm. right, Emerald? Yeah, we hate people fleeing domestic violence. We hate homeless people. Um, and that's why we said, could you please guarantee even just a single cent for housing? Uh, an issue that they seemed unwilling to address until this week in their big genius political strategy brains. They admitted <laughs> that, oh, yeah, we actually hadn't guaranteed a single cent for housing in our bill. Um, even though we were claiming that the Greens were blocking housing that wasn't guaranteed under the bill. And then they come back (laughs) before they delay the vote going, we're going to remove the annual spending cap um, and we're going to guarantee $500 million. So basically saying, yeah, okay, so we actually, nothing was guaranteed before, but we'll guarantee $500 million. Again, the amount that will build a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of what is actually needed. Proof that bullying works, people. True. Bullying <laughs> works. Yeah. Yeah, the cap's gone. Um, so, the, so the $500 million a year, that is the baseline, and it can be lifted at the discretion of the treasurer or the finance minister and will be spent on regardless. Ceiling. This is floor, not a ceiling. And will be spent regardless of whether the fund makes money or not. It will come in from 2024, which is an issue that we'll get to. You know, hey, why not start spending that money now? But mm-hmm. um there you go. It still won't be indexed against inflation until 2029, which means, again, if you don't index things and we've got high rates of inflation, you've got real funding cuts basically for this housing fund between now and 2029. Mm, it's so important to index things like student debt to inflation, um, but money for homes? Nah. Not so much. We've got to maintain the real value of your student debt, yes, but the yeah. real value of housing spending, ah, ah, ah. All right. What, what do you think of those concessions? That that little move. I mean, I think we got a taste of your uh, your take on it. But what what do you think of this little move or this somewhat compromise from the Labor government yeah. at the start of the week? I mean, I think they know clearly they have to like come back with something, right? Because they just look like fucking petulant obstructionists, ironically. Mm. Um, but this is just yeah, they really have kind of uh, mask offed 
and revealed how shit their initial bill was and confirmed it didn't guarantee anything and they haven't budged at all from effectively what they were already selling it as. So I would they've almost like taken themselves backwards, right, by being like, oh, yeah, we admit it wasn't actually that. We might do what we were kind of saying that we were going to do. Now, why won't the Greens support us? The fund is great and we'll get the returns from the fund. But, yes, I guess we'll guarantee that if the fund doesn't make money, that mm. we will still spend $500 million indirectly. Just spend directly. Just, just Look <laughs> at us negotiating, okay? Uh, incredible response from our good friend, Don Brown. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> Not MP. again. Tom posted the clip of me talking about Don Brown on Twitter and snitch tagged Don Brown. <laughs> so Don Brown is in there like insulting me in the fucking tweet replies. And like I work in Queensland Parliament. I literally had to run into Don Brown in the cafeteria where he sheepishly was like, mm, how are you going? I'm like, what are you? You're stopping mean to me online, Don. If you want to fucking talk to me in the cafeteria. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? What did you say I you didn't nothing. respond at all? He said nothing. I, I walked past him and I got my hash browns. <laughs> Ice cold moon. <laughs> well, Don Brown, I thought this was so revealing. He quote tweets the financial review story talking about how the government is guaranteed to spend at least $500 million a year. So this this concession from Labor government. And he he writes all about Max referring to Boy Wonder, Max Chandler-Mather. Now that is so- I don't understand this tweet. What do you mean? Like, what is this tweet? Can you explain it to me? Well, he's tying into the same critique we've heard from the likes of Penny Wong and other members of the Labor government. This this is all an ego trip for Max Chandler-Mather, right? It's all just about Max and getting all these wins, right? So like, oh, it's all- So he's just saying it's all about Max. But that's very revealing because- when re- re- commenting on a story which clearly shows that which clearly means more money mm. for the funding of housing don critiques the greens he- okay, so clearly he doesn't he doesn't care about housing people at all but- he's saying oh it's all a political stunt but it's like the political stunts or the political strategy that Max Chandler is pursuing has just resulted in guaranteed at least 500 million dollars a year for housing people that you say you care about don yeah, so you should be happy it's mate it's like yeah i just don't understand the strategy of tweeting a headline about a positive like a win for mm. your opponent and saying credit to my opponent for this. Like the headline <laughs> is the government has guaranteed to spend at least $500 million a year on social and affordable housing to secure the green support for a $10 billion housing fund. And he says all about Max. It's all about Max. He may have just done like clapping emoji at M. Chandler Mather. Yes. It's very confusing. <laughs> Maybe he thinks Max is going to get one of the houses. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could He's do so with it. Yeah, I don't know if Max's rent is about to go up. Could do. It's not bloody frozen or regulated, is it? Uh, the response to this concession from the boy wonder himself, Max Chandler-Mather, the Greens housing spokesperson. It's genuinely shocking to me that in a federal budget that found a $4.2 billion surplus in the middle of the worst housing crisis we've seen in a generation, the best they can offer is spend $500 million in 12 months' time. To be perfectly frank, it feels like the government has decided the housing crisis doesn't matter. Spending a fixed $500 million amount only starting in 12 months' time is not a response to the housing crisis. It's a disaster. The Greens have bent over backwards to reach a compromise, halving our initial demands for more spending on housing. Yet all Labor has done is partly close a loophole that could have seen no money spent on housing at all. We're not going to stop pushing until we get them to realise we need money right now from this year, extra money, and real action for renters. Mm-hmm. He said the Greens are willing to negotiate on a number between $500 million and $2.5 billion and would need some kind of limitation on rent increases at the very least. That seems to be a red line. Mm. Uh, what do we reckon to this, And What do we write to hold out for more? Oh, fuck yeah. I mean, I saw like the little, the hints of I think people starting to be like, please don't go too low, Greens. Like I think mm. people are really starting to be like, no further than this. I think us saying, yeah, between $500 million and $2.5 billion, it's like, yes, we're willing to negotiate. Like that's just obviously the frank truth is that we're going to be negotiating on that figure, um, yeah. something that Labor seems completely unwilling to even admit. Lol. I mean, again, Max said in an email to members too, I think framing this pretty well, again, laying out the case, like framing the way in the um, thinking 
behind our position, I suppose, and framing it in terms of the other money, the other shit that Labor is prepared to spend a shitload of money on. Yeah. To put this funding into context, this year alone, Labor will spend on average $15.7 billion a year in tax concessions for property investors via negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions. They're also guaranteeing more than $30 billion for the stage three tax cuts, which will see every politician in Canberra, including me and Max Chandler-Mather, get an extra $9,000 a year off on their tax. Yet they think $500 million a year is about the right amount to spend on one of the worst housing crises we've seen in generations. Hmm. So, again, it's very good to be able to point to all this other horrible shit that Labor's putting huge amounts of money in and saying, oh, but not housing. There was um, in Queensland, like the Queensland state budget was handed down this week and there was a protest outside Parliament that was organised by I think like a student union group um, and socialists, basically like a socialist student group. And they somehow, I don't really know how it happened, and this is very unusual, at least in Queensland, I don't know if this happens in other states, but the CFMEU uh, came along. The workers united will never be defeated. The workers united will never be defeated. So in the construction industry, we do have a big heart and we are compassionate and we are proud to stand in solidarity for such important causes like this today. They got all their members involved. And so, like, it's the kind of rally that, to be honest, without the CFMEU, we probably would have rocked up and there would have been, like, 10 socialists standing out the front of Parliament being like, build housing. Instead, there were hundreds of workers in high vis showing up in solidarity with, like, the Greens um, housing union and like these fucking, you know, like red flag selling socialists yeah. yelling at Labor to stop being so shit. It was pretty remarkable. And like at the end, yeah, you know, they're all chanting the Workers United will never be defeated. And I was like, fuck yeah. I mean, it's a sign of things to come mm. that, yeah, this, <laughs> when the CFMEU are willing to, to stand outside Parliament alongside those people and yell at Labor for being so shit on housing. And specifically, yes, they were talking about what Labor is willing to spend money on. Um, yeah. And not, and this is about federal labour and state labour at the same mm. time. It's like surely labour are looking at this and going, ooh, ooh, those are our friends. Because what was in the budget was 500 social homes, I think, from the Queensland state government. <laughs> they announced an additional um, funding for like I can't remember how many million dollars, but, yeah, that they said would add an extra 500, mil- <laughs> extra 500 homes to what they'd already committed. Um, but they've also got one of these funny money like funds to to build housing. The main thing that they're doing is offering tax concessions for build to rent for property developers, of course. And <laughs> yeah, like the, when you actually look at the budget, it has maybe an extra like a hundred million dollars, hundred seventy million dollars maybe than last year for for social housing. And Queensland has like forty seven thousand people, forty seven thousand people yes. on the social housing wait list. Yeah. Okay. Well, solidarity. Thank you, CFM, CFMEU now, I think. Uh, yes. I think end. it's just CFMEU in Queensland, but anyway, okay. who who can keep track? Too many acronyms. <laughs> Bloody, <laughs> the, uh, what do they call it? The LGBTQIA+, they call it the alphabet mafia. What about the CFMMEU? <laughs> do you ever think about that? <laughs> uh, federal Labor are certainly sending the message out there. This is it, hippies. This is all you get. We're not conceding any further. This is a great quote from Housing Minister Julie Collins. Sadly, this has become all about the politics, and it shouldn't be. This is not an opportunity for door knocking. It's not an opportunity for campaigning. Please don't door knock. Please. Stop. No. Stop. Stop being effective. Don't talk to people. It's about people on the ground, people that need homes the most. Okay. Well, then you should give some money. Then you should probably talk to them and give them some money. Yep. Amazing piece in the AFR. Greens would rather fight Labor than help the homeless. Chalmers. One of those classic headlines where they say the outrageous thing that somebody said and then just put the That's the head, yeah. At the end. yeah. Yeah. So it just sounds like it's news. Treasurer Jim Chalmers says the Greens are more interested in differentiating themselves from Labor than housing the nation's needy after the mining party rejected the government's compromise. It's time to put the interests of people who desperately need more housing first ahead of the political interests of any one political party on the crossbench and to vote for the half. <laughs> Dr. Chalmers told Dr. Chalmers told reporters, "This can't go on forever. It's time to put the ambit claims and the political games behind us. Why they're working? This, <laughs> our strategy is working. We've just got more money from you. I Why love Labor being that? like, please stop campaigning, please, <laughs> please stop, 
stop existing, stop not being Labor and having any kind of political power. That's enough of that. Come on, guys. The time for you to be fucking destroying us on this is over. Please. Uh, it's time for the Greens to actually vote for more social and affordable housing and not just say that they believe in it. Ooh, catty bitch. You too. You first. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we will we know you are. If we said you are. Will you? We? Yeah. Anthony Albanese, who has told colleagues he would rather take the policy to the next election than compromise any further. Interesting. That sounds like you're putting mm. politics ahead of mm. maybe the mm. housing the people. Said the demands being made by the Greens were absurd and untenable and amounted to nationalising the private housing investment market. Oh, no, <laughs> not that. I mean, yes, we should do that, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you think this is all bluff? Like, where do you think this is Where do you think this is going? How do you think it's going to play out over the next week? Uh, I don't know if they think they're bluffing. Like, I think, I mean, they hate the Greens so much and they yeah. hate poor people so much uh, and they care so little about, the actual provision of affordable housing, that like, yeah, I don't really know. But if they don't, fuck, they'll look bad. Like this is destroying them. Um, yeah, I really don't know I what mean, they're going to do. Again, forgive me if I've repeated this on previous episodes, but you, you just talk about playing politics. You cannot separate this fight from the fact that the Labor Party cannot seed power to the greens right like they mm. cannot let the greens win despite the greens winning meaning more funding for poor mm. people who need houses right yeah. like this is again existential to the labor party and th- for their view there is a red line in which they say we cannot let the greens gain any more ground otherwise they'll be seen to be effective they'll be a- they'll be able to demonstrate they can wield political power uh, that will only uh, so you see their power and their presence in the parliament grow. Okay, so this idea that, oh, Labor's just focused on the policy housing people and the Greens people are the ones doing awful, awful politics. No, that is all taking place in the context of a major party whose primary vote is constantly declining. They know they're losing mm. the argument and they're losing seats to the Greens and cannot allow that to continue. And that is absolutely consideration in the way that they're approaching this particular fight. Yeah, have you? I assume a lot of listeners will have seen this, but there's that classic meme that's like it's like a variation on the trolley meme, the trolley diagram where you're choosing between who to run over. Um, Except it's got like all these people on one track, no people tied to another track, and it's like you can pull the lever at any time, but the Greens will get some credit for it. (laughs) And that's truly yeah, that just sums up Labor's position so well. They're like, oh, what to do? Yes. So does that mean that the Greens should be prepared to vote down the half if it comes to it next week? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they'll come back with some other compromise before then. Yep. Surely. But, Surely. So, yes, we'll have to see. Another little interesting related side story this Go week on. we got from Crikey. Housing is a human right gone from Labor platform as Greens ramp up attacks. So the Labor conference talking about the platform is going to happen in August of this year and a draft platform has been put out there. And I think Max was drawing attention to this too, to be, to be fair. Uh, some of the housing policies that were included in Labor's current platform, the one that passed in 2021, I think, or at least they took to the federal election in 2022, mm. but omitted from the new draft include the following. Labor acknowledges that access to safe and secure housing is a basic human right and believes that housing affordability is one of the biggest issues facing Australians. <laughs> That's gone. No longer the case, so. Not the case. To be fair. Yes. Yeah. Labor will work with the states, territory and local governments and industry stakeholders to help Australians who rent to have access to more secure, affordable, quality, long-term housing. Mm. Like maybe like a rent freeze? Unreasonable. So they was, it got in there by mistake, but someone fact-checked it and they found out that you can't do that, so nah. I mean, it's pretty smart. I mean, if I was the Labor Party, I'd get rid of them up my platform too because that would be just another <laughs> example of hypocrisy of the Greens to say, hey, this is in your platform to work with the state mm. territory governments to... Like stop rents going through the roof, but anyway. Mm. Labor will work with the state, territory and local governments, local organisations and the private sector to reduce homelessness and support Mm. people experiencing or at risk of homelessness. Again, it's not. No. All gone. We don't want to do that. We're very busy. (laughs) No reason. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, I think you will have noticed 
in the week that just passed in particular. I think the government and its allies in like conservative media and, you know, conservative economists and people in the property and development industry, et cetera, have all honed in on one particular point in the Greens' demands being our call for a nationally coordinated rent freeze in all of the states. Um, why do you think they might be turning to this as their key focus point, Tom? I think they're unbiased. They care about policy. They just want to mm. do what works and they've got the they best educate the public. of renters at, at heart and tenants, you know. I mean, that's that's what the property lobby has always been about, helping helping tenants and, mm. uh, and renters. So, mm. Could uh, be that. Could be that. Um, I would say it's because everyone at this point or the vast majority of people kind of agree that you should build more fucking public and affordable <laughs> yes. housing. Yes, and so totally when you've got two yeah. key demands on the table from the Greens in the housing negotiations, one is like, please guarantee this money for social and affordable housing. And the other one is yeah. please coordinate a national rent freeze. They're like, it's getting really hard for us to argue that we shouldn't build more affordable housing. <laughs> How can we smash them on this other thing? How can we destroy any hope that this is even possible, let alone a good thing? And so I reckon they have pivoted their entire like their their PR machine is clearly. I mean, clearly they've got they've got links to um to, to media who are running stories on this, and we'll get into one in particular. But they're really pivoting to rent freeze bad, and and yeah. you know the the idea of any kind of rent control is is very bad. And I think, and there's like fertile ground there, right? Because I think to most people, the concept of rent freeze is pretty foreign. They haven't seen it happen mm. before. People just experience the rent, and I think there's just a general assumption: rent's expensive. Rent is a main living expense. That's a part of life, right? That's mm. part of being an adult. You just you pay rent, right? You got to pay yeah. rent to live. You're lucky to have a house. You're lucky to have somewhere and to rent. And since 1948, where the Labor Party tried to have a national uh, a referendum to change the constitution to allow the federal government to have control over rents, which they lost and didn't work out, and so everything's been left to the states ever since. It's just it really hasn't been a big part of political contestation. Mm. Renters' rights has sort of come through a little bit more yeah. in recent years, but actually saying the government telling landlords who are kings in this country mm. what, how much they can and can't charge for their own asset, uh, this is this is new ground. Very important, yeah. good ground, but quite fresh for people. Well, a rent freeze, a freeze in particular, is very radical and actually quite new for the Greens. Like the Greens have been talking about rent caps for a while. Mm. We've been talking about limiting the amount by which your rent can increase. That's been happening for a while, but a rent freeze, we didn't really start talking about until even like last year, maybe, maybe like 2021 in some states. Um, but it is, it's a pretty radical proposal, but it is a radical proposal for radical times in which yeah. rents are rising like at, at record levels and inflation, inflation is just through the roof and like we need something to kind of handbrake rent increases to catch up to inflation. But I think you're right that like rent controls as a concept are so like they are fundamentally anathema to the to a commodified housing market to a private housing market because it's specifically apart from yeah like you can talk about you know renters powers and rights and like conditions and you know security of your lease and that sort of thing but you're fundamentally talking about limiting how much money someone can make from someone else's home effectively and like that's why, yeah. Like I think that's the other reason. From I mean, obviously- someone else's need for housing, for the, someone else's the basic need for housing. human need, yes, for shelter. How much yeah. money can someone else make out of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like atta- which, as you say, is just a given that someone can just make money from you, like however much they want. There could be no limit on how much they charge. Um, so yeah, in addition to it being like I think politically very important for Labor right now to attack the Greens on this, um, you know, on a broader. Uh, a social basis, like for people involved in the speculation and commodification of property, if it, like, if the idea of rent controls gets into the the public's mind in Australia, that is a real thread pulled from the tapestry of like fucking you know the private market when it comes to to renting um to housing. Yeah. So, as Craig Everson tweeted, what's next? What's Price next? controls on other basic human needs. Mm, Come on, interesting. So. An article in the Australian Financial Review this week taking aim at the rent freeze in particular. Um, the headline, rent freeze or, yeah, rent freeze studies don't say what the Greens say they do. Owned. Did you read this article, Tom? I did. I skimmed the hell out of it. <laughs> you skimmed the hell out of it. Are you sold? Are rent freezes bad? Yeah, I guess it's all bad. I guess 
uh, people like Richard Holden, who I recently shared a panel with at the Sydney Writers Festival. Did you? Uh, free market liberal economist who sort of says he doesn't like neoliberalism, but I know hates all price controls and rent controls, hmm. says that the Greens are wrong and we need to allow people to keep charging as much money as they like. Yeah. Uh, yes. The article, it goes through a few, There, like there's a fair bit in this article and so we thought it might be worth kind of stepping through each of the arguments that it makes uh, and how you might respond to this. For example, if someone were to raise them with you. It talks specifically about this, like this study that Max has cited. He talks about studies of rent controls in New Jersey and he talks about a 2015 study, but it seems like actually there are multiple studies of, of rent controls, you know, in US states and particularly in New Jersey where there are different municipalities that set their own rules. What the article says is that Max is citing this, citing this study to say that actually when you introduce rent controls, it doesn't significantly affect supply, which is one of the key arguments. People say if you cap rents, then everyone will bail from the market and then there'll be even less supply and everything will be fucked because there's not enough houses already for everyone. Um, They're saying that that study that you're talking about actually says there's no statistically significant difference in median rents between cities with controls and those without and that rent increases were still high enough not to stymie supply. But this is the thing about studies, you know, like economic studies in general are not, uh, they're not scientific. Like it's not a clear cut science. There's not a one conclusion. You can do with the data what you like. And when I tried to look into this and get a clear response, it's like, well, basically the answer is people spin it the way they want to spin it, right? And so some of these studies focus on loopholes and issues with the way that these specific rent control regulations were drafted or applied. And some focus on what happens to actual properties to which a rent cap is applied. Right. So, I mean, (laughs) but the article itself, like this AFR article is funny because first of all, it, it talks about what that, that, um, 2015 study they're talking about in New, New Jersey found. And then they say, oh, there's also a literature review in that article that found that most studies of rent control in New York and California identified negative impacts of rent control on the local housing market. So all they're saying is some people also say that there are poor impacts of rent controls. Like they're, right. they're literally just repeating that this has been previously argued instead of pointing to any actual evidence in that article that supports that. Right. And (laughs) it's sort of like, okay, there might be some negative consequences of introducing a policy, but we should surely compare that to either the status quo or alternative solutions and whether they would make things any better or any worse. Yeah, Um, exactly. Which which is always missing out of this these kind of conversations as well. Yeah. So I'll list, I want to list off, like it, it says there, yes, it points to the literature review saying that there are these negative impacts, including lower quality housing stock, inadequate increases or even decreases in affordability, deterioration of stock, and decreases in nearby property values. So we are going to go through each of those in detail. And I think particularly, like I said, like the thing with supply and demand, that argument around how rent controls impact supply is that the evidence isn't settled because it's just been like rent controls have been applied in so many different ways and you can kind of look at the the data however you want to. But what Mm. these arguments remind me of is it's like people claiming, well, based on, you know, everyone has agreed it's definitively settled that socialism doesn't work. And it's like, yes, some people have looked at examples of you know, systems that might claim to be implementing socialism Mm. um, or have implemented socialist policies in some way mixed with, you know, market capitalism and looked at particular problems that have arisen in that system and then been like, this is proof that socialism doesn't work. But people, economists who act as though they can definitively state that like this theory or this policy proposal has been debunked or is no longer valid. It's Mm. purely ideology. Like economics, it's so ideologically driven and yet they want to pretend that they're like, they're scientists. Right. So anyway. The classic one with socialism has worked too is like completely ignoring the active role of like the US government in assassinating democratically elected socialist leaders and staging coups that tore down socialist 
countries or socialist yeah. governments because, of course, socialism wasn't allowed to work. It's not like everyone like said, okay, everyone, you do capitalism, you do socialism. Let's see how yeah. it all shakes out at the end. <laughs> well, I guess the experiment didn't work out. It's like, no, one of those parties was actively killing leaders on the other side mm. on a regular basis. Well, but exactly, I mean, the same when it comes to rent controls or rent caps, right? Because like when you try to have a socialized or or regulated um, housing market, there's also obviously going to be pushback from neoliberals, from the private market, from the mm. property and development industry. Yep. And so you end up with like it, it's often those forces, like examples that, you know, Sweden is often used as an example of how rent control has failed. But when you actually look at it, a lot of what has led to like the housing market in Stockholm being being so fucked is a wave of deregulation in Mm. the 90s and onwards that really fucked it and that rent caps have kind of acted as a handbrake on what could have been even more devastating consequences. And so, yes, there's always, that's right. It's like you can't, it's not just that there's been socialism or there's been rent caps happening in isolation from very powerful um, capitalist forces that often are just trying to fuck them over. So <laughs> another great example uh, relevant to this, like neg- the widespread economic consensus is that negative gearing is stupid and sucks and should be reformed mm. in some way. Like almost, almost universal agreement across all economic out, uh, outlooks. The reason why we haven't touched it is because of politics. Okay. So it's not like people are just following the evidence and introducing yeah. good policy decisions. It's completely political. And that that's a huge mm-hmm. part of the um, the conversation that any kind of economic review or report would not take into consideration. Yeah, yeah. Everyone loves to pretend that their ideology is facts and not ideology. It's common sense. <laughs> it's common sense, exactly. Okay, so number one of the negative impacts that the, this AFR article is saying arise from rent controls or a rent freeze. I mean, that's the other thing is like there's really no distinction in this article between a rent freeze and just rent controls in general, which I think is telling. But anyway, we're really just talking about rent controls, which could include caps, which is what we're, we're proposing as an ongoing measure once we have a f- temporary freeze to allow rents um, to catch up to inflation. So the first is that there will be lower quality housing stock. So they point to, for example, evidence, I think this is from the New Jersey study, that there's a higher percentage of units um, in the rent controlled areas that have a plumbing deficiency. Basically that if you have, if you don't create um, the ability for landlords to increase the rent as much, they'll just be like, fuck it, I won't maintain your property then. Um, this is, and this is like, this kind of runs through all of these arguments that a lot of these are just talking about, they're just illustrating loopholes in the way that these other laws were drafted. It could be very easily fixed if you simply regulated the problem. Yes. If you're talking about like no minimum standards in, in rental properties or no powers to actually enforce those standards upon landlords, then maybe you should regulate, like legislate minimum rental standards, exactly like the Greens are saying we should do. That's exactly like one of the key things that we said should be in this national standard for renters' rights coordinated by national cabinet. It should be minimum rental standards. And and the other things that would prevent, you know, a, a landlord from from actually carrying out repairs, for example, is, you know, I think everyone has experienced this. You're scared to ask for repairs because then you lease when your lease is up, you can just be kicked out for no reason, even though you're not meant to be able to uh, evict someone because of that. But we all know they fucking do because you don't want to be difficult. Also, I love the idea of all the renters who have terrible landlords at the moment hearing this and going, oh, no, imagine a world in which my landlord wouldn't respond to my request yes. to fix yeah, my yeah. shit. Oh, that no. would never happen that in our rent-controlled world that we live in. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, end no grounds evictions so that you can ask for repairs without the fear that you're going to be kicked out because of it. Um, you know, we also, the Greens have talked about increasing funding for rental funding for rental advocacy services so that um, renters can actually kind of exercise their rights. But these are just, yeah, it, it's pretty basic. It's like if you want to, if this is an issue, you can easily address that through regulation or through legislation. So why wouldn't you just do that? Just do that. Just do that. It's like the classic, like, oh, don't wealth, don't have wealth taxes because they're really easy for people to avoid. I'm like, well, obviously fund the ATO better to enforce the. T- obviously, we should enforce our taxes as well. Yes. The, yeah. the fact that we're, our, our tax collection system is shit at recouping money from rich people is not an argument against taxing those rich people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, okay, so the second thing that they talk about, the second argument against rent controls is inadequate increases or even decreases in affordability. That's a quote. That's what they say. This one 
I'm literally just, I, I would like some details, please. They just say this. They just rattle this off as one of the issues that they say has been found or argued to arise from Brent Controls with no apparent evidence. When you actually look at the evidence, there's ample, like the evidence shows that where rent caps apply, rents go down. It improves affordability. I think one of the things that that sometimes they'll point to is they'll be like, oh, well, look at Berlin where uh, rents have increased in these places. Yeah, because only some of the units, only some of the housing were had rent controls applied. Mm. And so the surrounding homes that didn't, Rents increased by a whole lot more because they didn't have rent controls. Like it, it's just so insane. Again, it's just using the loopholes to argue for you know effectively applying those loopholes across the board. You know what I mean? Like it, that the example in Berlin, apparently the rent control departments, those rents rose at something like like sixty percent lower rates than where they didn't apply. Um, you know, it, it, there's, there's stuff on, I, I think we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes to Max's website where there are a few kind of FAQs about rent freeze. And I think this is from there. It's from something that the Greens have posted before, but it, it talks about how in 1940, 80% of the US rental stock was placed under control. A Yale study found two things happened in the years after this. First, there was an increase in the number of properties for sale and a decrease in the number of properties advertised for rent. We will come back to that. Secondly, in cities where rent control forced down rent prices, there was an increase in home ownership in the first half of the 1940s. The study found that rent control played an important role in home ownership's rapid wartime and post-war growth. So it forced down prices and simultaneously allowed more people to actually own their own home because ultimately... This is where we get to this third argument, deterioration of stock. This is the classic argument about supply and demand. So what they're really saying, I think their real argument for why they think that rent caps will lead to inadequate increases or even decreases in affordability is because there'll be less supply. However, (laughs) However. However, there's really no evidence that just because you introduce rent controls that means there'll be fewer affordable uh, properties available. Like, it, I mean, even just based on the fact that, yeah, you know, where you control rents, the rents go down. And as we just heard in that quote about, you know, 1940s and, and US rental stock placed under rental, rental control in terms of actually owning a home, prices go down. Mm. One of the other arguments that they use, and, and so this is in the article, there's this REA group economist, lol, Angus Moore, who says that, the U.S. examples mostly only look at new properties and they show that rent-controlled properties are often either removed from the rental market through sale Good. or completely redeveloped to remove from rent control. So this is one of the arguments. Landlords will just redevelop the property to evade these controls. Again, because of loopholes in badly drafted laws. Like if you say that it, you know, rent controls only apply to old properties, they don't apply to properties that have been renovated or kind of reconfigured in a certain way, then sure, landlords will exploit those fucking loopholes. But, like, you don't have to do that. Hang on. There are laws that say rent controls don't apply to renovated properties? I think that, yeah, like probably in some some other jurisdictions, you can, like, if you build new property or if you, I guess, redevelop the lot, those rent controls would no longer apply. (laughs) And so, (laughs) right, like... Obviously, that's fucking stupid, um, which is why what the Greens are proposing is not that at all. The Greens' proposal is to freeze rent on all residential tenancies, including prices for new builds, recently renovated properties, or recently unoccupied properties set at the median rent for that postcode. So just fucking close the loophole if you're so concerned. Uh, (laughs) The second argument is that landlords, oh, they'll be so pissed off that they can't raise the rent or that they can't charge as much rent as they want to, that they'll just keep homes empty. Maybe we should stop incentivizing landlords to keep home em- homes empty. Yes. They already do that. They already they fucking already do, do that. that right now. Yes. They do that right now because negative gearing and capital gains tax concessions incentivize them to do this. So scrap them and introduce a vacancy levy. If yes. you, you know, if a landlord or a property investor wants a land bank, wants to leave a home empty for a significant period of time for no good reason, slap a fucking massive tax on them. If yes. they really want to, like, most likely they would rent their property out 
if they really don't want to, then we get a bit of revenue and can build more social housing. And I believe the radical socialists in the Victorian Labor government recently introduced such hmm. a policy in the recent budget. So, so interesting. Yeah, hmm. yeah. But it just can't be done. The Greens are just, it's pixie dust. The Greens are so fucking unrealistic. Um, the classic, if you introduce rent controls, landlords will sell up. Good. This is what we Love have flagged before. Want to yeah. it. Uh, very good, actually. Please do this. Please sell me your fucking home. Stop hoarding it. More sales to tenants is good. This is like this is what we said. This has happened in the States. We've seen this happen. Again, the argument that I mentioned before around Stockholm, people say, oh, the Swedish um, rental market where they've had rent controls in place for ages is like pretty fucked. And it does seem like it's kind of fucked for various reasons around the market being so deregulated and them not building enough public homes um, since they had this big burst in the 60s and 70s. But that what you do see is that the most significant increase in like private or in exits from the rental market in Stockholm has been sales to tenants yes. because for a while the tax um, or, you know, the, the way that, yeah, the tax system was structured and the housing market was regulated was that it was less profit- profitable to build investment homes than it was to build homes for people to actually live in. How about that? Kind of the way that it should be. Like- it should work. <laughs> and it should, I mean, this came up when I was researching the book, and the New South Wales Tenants Union did a poll a while ago, finding something like 54% of renters that they spoke to, based on the survey, were only renting because they could not afford a house. All right? Like, yes. Obviously, there are some people renting for a variety of reasons and are, are yeah. relatively happy renting or want to rent or want that flexibility, yada, yada, or aren't in a yeah. position at all to consider home ownership or buying a home. But the majority or at least a huge chunk of the third of the country who are renting are only doing it because home ownership is just not an option whatsoever. So absolutely, we should have more landlords getting rid of one of their properties to the people who have none. Yeah. I think like, and obviously there is kind of an interesting theoretical argument to be had around the emphasis on private home ownership versus um, property, you know, real estate as as a collectively shared, something that we should be emphasizing state ownership um, and, and normalizing, um, yeah, public ownership rather than, than private ownership. But I, I don't know if we've had, maybe if we've done a conversation on, on that before in terms of housing theory on the show, but that's, I, think, I, guess, I think we've tried to raise, yes, raise the point yeah. that, you know, yes, maybe gearing everything around owning your own home and this kind of Australian yeah. dream obsession that we have has got its own problems. And a more European model, and maybe these are the kind of things that Labor wants to put in their national renters' rights discussion, I don't know. But, you know, a, a European model in which tenancy agreements are like five years um, mm. or, or long term, you know, five, five or ten years in, in Germany, I think, sort of thing. Um, every, I think 98%, again, this is from the book, 98% of leases in Australia, something like that, are one year like 12 months that is just the standard across mm. the board and no one is obliged to offer any more than that in fact sometimes people are offering um you know shorter than that six months for example yeah. so yeah changing the obligations on a landlord is the kind of um offers that they should they should uh, the leases they should offer is also part of that conversation yeah yeah it's like certainly especially under the system that we currently have as we continue to or like we fight to increase the stock of public housing and the share of 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 housing on the market that is publicly owned um since that share has been you know rapidly de- and significantly decreasing mm. um in the meantime it's like yeah well that share of of private market should be more evenly distributed among people um rather than you know a tiny handful of people as we talked about last week holding all of this property and another half of people owning none, um, maybe redistribute that a little bit. <laughs> the other, yeah, and so the, this final, I guess, argument around rent controls decreasing supply and that impacting affordability is that no one will build new affordable rentals that, you know, no one will build housing, invest in new housing to increase supply if it's not going to be profitable effectively. Um I guess, as you say, it's then you have to bring it back to, well, what's the current system doing to increase the supply of affordable rentals? Like, you know, there's this is another thing that Max has pointed to, um, experienced in, in Melbourne recently, that you, when you add the equivalent of two or three years worth of additional housing supply, it only bring, it brought rents down by maybe 10% for a year and then rents rose sharply again. Like there's just no evidence that the private market particularly even as you deregulate it and deregulate it, will 
increase the supply of affordable housing, which is what we fucking need. Mm. Right, because remember, the incentives of lots of landlords, not all, hashtag not all landlords, but, but heaps and heaps of landlords, particularly the ones that are really in it for cash, who have a lot of properties and are leveraged you know, a lot, is, is to charge as much money as yeah. humanly possible. So we'll set their rent, rates, their rents rather, at the rate at which other landlords are charging them. You know, we always talk about the market rate, the local market rate, and they'll say, oh, this rent rise is just because of the market rate. It's what the market's doing, right? Regardless of how much margin they're making between either their repayments or their costs on the property versus your rent, they don't give a shit. It's just as long as they can make as much money. So it has nothing to do with their own costs necessarily. It is a profit-seeking exercise. Yeah, and if you acknowledge that, you know, on the private market, <laughs> you, like this this argument of supply and demand also means that private property developers and private property investors benefit from restricting supply and driving yes. up costs. That is exactly what they want. So, yeah. you know, if you want to increase supply, you just can't leave it to the private property market. Like there's, a, fuck, there's another quote in the article. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so as you were talking about this University of New South Wales economics professor, Richard Holden, your mate from the panel, <laughs> he is quoted in this AFR article saying, zoning and construction regulations need to be reassessed and land releases need to be increased. Mm-hmm. That's the way to fix our housing problems, not revert to failed policies of the past. Brilliant. Failed policies of the past. Yes. How are the failed policies of the present being the consistent fucking deregulation <laughs> of the housing market yes. and like the abrogation of the state's responsibility to provide public and affordable housing and leaving it all to a profiteering private market that has driven up rents, driven up price like housing prices, you know, uh, escalated, accelerated acceleration accelerated inflation, sorry, to like this insane extent, Mm. those are the failed policies of the past. That's exactly what we're saying we can't return to. Mm. It's so ironic, that fucking quote. (laughs) The failed policies of the past? No. Oh, Richard. Richard also during the paddle said that he he felt very uncomfortable with telling anybody that they have too much money. This This is a direct That's very offensive. No, no, if you look at anybody, any billionaire and say, no, I can't tell you that a billion dollars for a single human being is too much money and it would be bad for the state to take away that money to redistribute it to other people. That would be bad. Politics of envy, Tom. Politics of envy. <laughs> but, yeah, like what this, what Richard is talking about, he says failed policies of the past. It's like, oh, you're talking about, yeah, like rent controls that were poorly drafted, full of loopholes. Well, mm. that's not what the Greens are proposing, so fuck off. And actually the failed policies of the past are this reliance on the private market to supply affordable housing, which it's completely failed to do. And what we actually need to do is build public and affordable housing. And this is what it ultimately comes back to and what is so ironic about this this argument about the Greens' proposals and what we're negotiating for in the housing bill when they're like they they decided to suddenly carve off the demand for you know, $2.5 billion for public and affordable housing per year and focus on rent freeze. And then their argument against rent freeze is that it's going to make things more expensive. It's going to make things worse because it'll reduce supply. And it's like, what about the supply of the public and affordable housing Mm. from the $2.5 billion per year that we're fucking asking for and the $1.6 billion per year that we're saying you should give to the states to implement a rent freeze that they could then use to build or buy social housing. We're here to help, buddy. <laughs> we want to help you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. The, and this, like, I, I think, you know, you you were talking in your segment, Tom, earlier about solutions right now. Like we're talking about wanting these this money to come into effect now. We're wanting to make sure that there are more houses, more affordable homes available to people who need it right now because there are people sleeping in fucking tents right now. Mm. And I guess, yeah, people might say, well, you, kind of, um, you know, a, a rent freeze might help some people might right now, but in terms of supply, there's a limit on how quickly you can build homes. Mm. But the Greens have suggested ways that you could deliver new affordable homes with that money right now. They've said that that funding for the states could be used to increase the stock of social housing right away by buying up new homes off the plan. Yep. For example, from these stored construction projects, we've got building collapses, like uh, builder collapses across the country where these builders um, go into liquidation, they go bankrupt, and then they leave all these unfinished homes. The state could buy those up, finish them, and make them public and affordable housing. They could acquire vacant homes. They could purchase some of the 24,000 NRAS homes 
that are going to be returned lost to the private market because the federal government, you know, Scott Morrison ended that NRAS scheme and Labor has refused to to, to um, continue it, obviously, and RAS not a perfect scheme. We, mm. we, we know that. But they could buy those homes and make them social housing. Yeah. So th- there are homes there right now that could be brought into state ownership, could be brought, that they could be made affordable to people who need them right now. Mm. And yet the government just wants to maybe deliver barely enough homes in a few years' time and people like fucking Richard Holden want us to relax zoning rules and regulations for developers in the hope that maybe, yeah, five years down the track, they will have built some more homes and that maybe they'll see it in their hearts for some reason, even though everything in our taxation system, everything in our economic system is incentivizing them to charge as much as they can and more than anyone can afford that maybe for some reason with no inclusionary zoning, no requirement for public or affordable housing, that they'll just make it affordable. Yes. You know, the only way that property developers will build more affordable housing is if it's in zoning regulation. Like if you force them to do it and say the only way you approve this new development is if you include some affordable housing. So the state, again, has to intervene to provide people with the basic human need of something affordable that the private market simply cannot deliver because it's entirely geared around property prices and rents being as high as humanly fucking possible. That's the whole point That's because whole you're trying point. to make money from it. It's an investment. Yes. Uh, yeah. So those, yeah, those are like the key arguments I think that are laid out in this AFR article. And it is one of those things that we did want to spend some time on because you read it and you're like, oh, really? Have all these studies actually found all these horrible things about <laughs> rent controls? Yeah. And first of all, yeah, the studies often say whatever they, they make from the data what they want to make. They're based on shoddily implemented models a lot of the time or the loopholes in those models, attempts to introduce rent control that were clearly like fiercely opposed by neoliberal forces and they ignore the fucking failures of the current private market. Mm. I see you've got some links here. I mean, Cameron Murray, I think his writing about the housing market is always really fascinating and interesting. Mm. Cameron Murray is a bit of a weird unit on some things, a a bit of a a racist sometimes, have to say. Um, Okay. I think he he has some weird population and immigration policy, like ideas. Okay. Um, But then on, you know, economic ideas like this, he does have some good explainers. So take from that what you will. (laughs) We'll put those links in the show notes for people to check out. Yeah. And just quickly, like, I mean, you you were saying, Tom, that this is, as you point out, like a few labor figures are still trying to use this argument to be like, well, a rent freeze is just not even possible because we mm. just can't do that at a national level. And to be honest, I was surprised that they're even still doing this, but apparently Albanese is still like pretending that he can't do this. Yeah. Yes. Once credit for putting it on the national cabinet agenda and coordinating this renters' rights thing, but also wants to argue that they have no power in this area whatsoever. Mm. Very bizarre. And as Max is regularly saying, uh, we've had rent um, rent caps and freezes on, um, or, or, or price controls rather, on energy. Right. The government is constantly bragging yeah. how, in this cost of living crisis, they've intervened to cap energy prices. <laughs> well, you can run exactly the same argument for uh, rent freezes as well, because some of the yes. legislation involved in those energy price caps also required coordination from the states and territories. Yeah, and so, similarly, uh, like the government coordinated, you know, specifically in relation to renters, a uh, national evictions ban during the right. um, during the pandemic. So, like, it's obviously possible. It's quite funny that, yeah, they really have to grasp at straws to be like, well, not only is it bad, also, even if it's good, if you think it's good, we can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. <laughs> And also, I can't believe this, pulling out the largest increase in rent assistance in 30 years in its May budget. That was a dollar twenty a day, I believe. Yeah, something like a dollar twenty a day. Yeah. Have you there's a good new um explainer. I don't know if folks saw the first like whiteboard explainer that Max did on the Housing Australia Future Fund bill. Yes, he did yep. another one I saw yesterday. It came out on Thursday or whatever. Um, if you look on his Instagram is where I saw it explaining like all of the things that Labor says that they're doing on housing and breaking down bit by bit uh, why it's fucking bullshit and insulting and often just a lie. And it's, it's, they're longer videos, but they're worth it. They're good explainers. They were great. Yeah. And if people want to get again, another blow by blow on exactly how cooked the half is, check out our live show that we recorded on stage in Brisbane Mm -hmm. with Geraldine Hickey and Max Chandler-Mather, where we went through it all, baby. If there is a rent freeze like this, what happens to all of the uh, mortgage holders that have investment properties that they rent out as, inf- as interest rates continue to go up? What happens to them? 
Well, firstly, they still have access to negative gearing, uh, which means they can write off losses on their rental properties, uh, uh, on their tax. But can I just ask, what happens to the one third of this country who are subject to another year of unlimited rent increases? Rents have gone up twenty percent, over twenty percent, over the last twelve months. The RBA has predicted that rents may go up even faster over the next twelve months. What happens to that person who is currently budgeting, choosing between paying the rent and feeding their kids? What happens to that pension on a fixed income, knowing that the next place they'll be sleeping is their car after the next rent increase? It is not sustainable in one of the wealthiest countries on earth to allow unlimited rent increases. Unlimited. I had someone write to me recently who had been copped a $584 a week rent increase. And how are people meant to survive in those circumstances where the cost of living is going up uh, across the country right now? Our point to the government is that you can't ignore a third of the country when it comes to one of the worst housing crises we've seen in generations. Max Chandler-Mather, thank you very much. Thanks, Hamish. Relevant to all this too, Max Chandler-Mather is hosting an online town hall on the housing crisis on Monday, June 26th at 6pm. So if you want to get involved with that, listen, ask questions of the housing spokesperson for this party, uh, then you're very welcome to do so. That might just be open to members, I believe, off the top of my head. But there's Is a link. It? Okay. I think so, maybe. That could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But um, I think it linked through to Greenhouse. But uh, we'll put the if link If you click that. the link and you can't access it, I guess you'll just have to sign up to the Greens. Yes. <laughs> and our Patreon as well, more importantly. And our Patreon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can we organise somehow like a redirect from that URL? To- <laughs> Just garnish people's membership <laughs> fees. Patreon.com. Or what is it? Patreon.com forward slash Serious Danger. Patreon, yeah. that right? Even though we're not an official Greens Party podcast. Yeah. No. Also, it is Refugee Week starting from today. Um, happens every week, every year rather. In, in June. Every <laughs> wow. week is Refugee Week. Every week is Refugee Week <laughs> in our hearts and minds. That's true. Go to refugeeweek.org.au. The theme this year is Finding Freedom. Uh, there are events happening all across the country, lots of cool stuff going on, both you know, uh, doubling down on the uh, crisis in regards to refugee rights in this country and the way that we continue to contravene people's human rights. There are still about 1,300 people in Australian immigration detention. About 750 of them are people who have either previously held a humanitarian visa or have claimed uh, for asylum and protection. It's still very shit in a whole bunch of ways, but it's also a chance to celebrate the strength and the stories of mm. people seeking asylum and refugees who have come to this country and overcome Australia's horrific treatment of them and yeah. flourished and thrived and built this country and made, helped make this country a, a really good place. So get out there and um, celebrate refugees in Australia and their survival, I reckon. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. If you give us a five stars um, review and say something nice and it helps get the word out, please also tell your friends about Serious Danger. Um, share our clips on Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. We're at Serious Danger AU on all of those. Um, go to seriousdangerpod.com to find all the links, and you'll also find a link there to our Patreon. It's just three bucks a month, wherever you want to throw Mike's way. Uh, and you get a heap of bonus content, not just bonus content as it comes out, but the whole back catalogue. There's like a shitload of cool episodes there you can access them in whatever app like you already use to listen to the podcast so it's super easy you get the instructions when you sign up uh and it would make us it would put a smile on our dial make us happy fuck the flying foxes kill them all poison them shoot them in the face (laughs) that's the official (laughs) (laughs) joking bye everyone bye (laughs) serious danger